mastering your emotions so you can be a safe space for the feminine mm, is yes. actually to me the art of masculinity so i would think it means two things to me one it's always like in the eye of the beholder so realize that it's okay to have a different view than somebody else two it's always being created and recreated uh i i think it means an openness to growth an openness to learning an openness to looking at what is masculinity in me and having curiosity about what parts are serving me and what parts maybe aren't serving me so well anymore. And so the art of masculinity is truly that. If you can master being a lion and a lamb, you've mastered masculinity. The art of masculinity to me means knowing how to gracefully dance between both the feminine flow and the structure of the masculine. This is The Art of Masculinity with your host, Johnny Elsasser. Hey everyone, today's guest is Chris Chandler Yates. He is an American Kiwi. He's a former New Zealand police officer who did the job for seven years, protected their honorary Sir John Key, some prime minister from New Zealand. Sorry, bro. Uh, I don't know if we recognize you because you're not American, but anyways, <laughs> really awesome, really awesome human being. But he experienced severe burnout in his job, which actually caused him to experience his own journey of self-care, recovery, and personal development. He is now incredibly passionate about helping officers and first responders check in with their mental health and reduce the opportunity of burnout to exist. He has an amazing podcast called The Burnout Podcast, which I had the fortune of being on as well, and really is passionate about helping people experience a beautiful life in these very high octane jobs. So as somebody who has gone through burnout himself, he definitely has put in the time and effort into building himself once again from the ashes and letting people know that mental health is a big deal in these fields. And if it goes unchecked, we can find ourselves in very, very dark places. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode for all my first responders out there, for all my high octane professionals out there, guys, really, really take a listen to this episode. If there's anything that resonates with you, please let me know if there's anything I can do to help you. If there's anything that you guys need to check in with me or with Chris, make sure you guys let us know. But truly appreciate all of you guys out there doing some really tough jobs. And I know you guys will enjoy this episode. So I'll see y'all around the corner. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Art of Masculinity. Today, we got Chris Yates on with us. And man, you and I have been chatting for a while. I was on your podcast. And for everybody who doesn't know him, he's across the pond, but the other way, not the not the Great Britain pond, the other side. Um, out of New Zealand, a Kiwi, which man, I love you guys. I spent some time out in Australia and New Zealand. You're about what? Eight o'clock in the morning right now. Yeah, man. It's just past, it's just past eight. Um, yeah. So over here, I'm originally from California and yeah, we have, we've been talking for a long time and actually I got to know you through, through your wife, through Taylor, through my wife, who's working with Taylor and that. And so, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been awesome, man. It's awesome seeing your journey, seeing everything you're doing and, 
yeah, it's it's so important all the you know all the masculinity side of stuff um i'm looking forward to our conversation today man yeah brother likewise man and i love watching you i love watching what you're doing you and i have talked about some of the things that you got upcoming which we'll let everybody know about later in the show but also the fact that you know the work that you're doing out there is just incredibly powerful helping guys through things that really brought you down but i don't want to dive into that just yet i'm going to leave everybody on a cliffhanger there we're going to go through the manly round uh so people can get to know you a little bit and Perfect. get to know a softer side of you what do you think brother Sounds perfect, man. Sounds perfect. I got a big uh, gushy side in there. I'm six foot six and 200 pounds, but I'm a big teddy bear inside. So as oftentimes large men are, you know, you guys kind of have to be, you're so fucking intimidating. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that, but yeah, no, yeah, no, it definitely, definitely have a soft side, a soft uh, feminine side, you could call it um, in there that uh, it's very nice to have as well as that uh, masculine side to, to balance each other out. I love it, brother. Well, your first question is, what is your spirit animal and why? Ooh, spirit animal. Oh, my spirit animal, I'd say is probably a wolf. Uh, and mm. uh, the reason it's a wolf, and actually I'm going to call it the dark wolf because uh, that little guy, he had, he had control of me for a long period of time. Uh, and that's why I do what I do now. I've even got one tattooed on my shoulder here. And, uh, oh, yeah. and actually the, the story behind that one, I didn't even realize until oh, probably a couple of years ago, I was getting that tattooed on my arm when I was in my darkest times. And so that wolf, mm. that dark wolf, my counselor was like, there's a dark wolf that is very loud, but has no power. And so that's why it's so loud. And it's all those negative thoughts that we have, or I call the demon now. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, I'd say the dark wolf, because he reminds me of my past reminds me of what I've accomplished and gone through and yeah. That'd, probably, that'd be why uh, i love that man and and i think there's a lot of guys that resonate with what you just said already right there and they have that dark wolf sitting there lurking in the shadows in their own background and he's probably giving them bad advice or bad direction as well brother so i love that you chose that one and that yeah, you got a tattoo uh, of it yeah i didn't even recognize it until years later i was sitting in the gym and i looked over and i was like motherfucker that yeah. dark wolf there he is. And I was getting it at the time when I was going through a lot of uh, my darkness. And, you know, I want to reiterate on that. We've also got a light wolf in there as well. And sure. originally the, the tattoo, I wanted to be a white wolf. Originally, mm. I wanted to be a white wolf when I told the tattoo artist. And he's like, it won't go with the rest of your arm. So I've got bears and stags yeah. and stuff all over my arm. And he's like, it won't go with the rest and it won't show up very good. And so we mm. did the dark wolf. And the white wolf has actually got more power. He's just a lot quieter. But when you mm -hmm. listen to him, he drives you so much further. <laughs> well, the white wolf on you, wouldn't it just be an outline of a wolf? <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> and it would have faded away by now because I love the sun so much. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. All right. Your next question is, uh, yeah. And for everybody listening real quick, we, we, we'll go into Chris's backstory a little bit. But, you know, he is a homegrown American boy living in New Zealand and been there yep. since what, like 2004? Yep. And in 2004, I got here after sailing around the world with my parents. So that's um, so, oh, yeah. I can't wait to hear that story. Yeah. What's really funny, uh, though, if everybody's really listening, they'll pick up like a little bit of the Kiwi accent, along with the fact that obviously you still speak like you're from California. <laughs> well, I also just got back from three weeks in the States in the US from a holiday. Yeah. And so I picked up a lot of that American back again. But when I went over there, first thing that everybody was like, where are you from? 
where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from here. God damn it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Your next question, brother, is what song, whenever you hear it, no matter where you are, no matter how many people are around you, do you have to start singing along with out loud? Not just in your head, but you like you can't stop yourself. You just got to be busting it out loud. Oh, which song? I'm horrible with song names, but I'm trying to think what song would actually do that to me. There's so many, like it depends on the mood I'm in. Like I'll be in like different moods and it'll be, I'll just start going. But, um, one of the songs that I love singing to is kryptonite. Oh, very good. Yeah. Three doors <laughs> down, man. Three doors down kryptonite. And that's from back when I first got on the boat, heard that the first time in Trinidad. And I was like, this song is awesome. And played it over and over and over. Be in the middle of watches in the middle of the ocean. Be screaming it out loud. <laughs> oh my God. That's a great, I'm glad you brought that one up. That's a big one. That was one that I grew up with as well. I used to listen to that shit before I'd go like hop on a soccer field and stuff. I'd get all pumped yeah. up. It's a, it's a hype song, man. It, it definitely sure. it, it, I haven't actually listened to it in quite a while. And thanks for bringing that up. I'm going to actually put it on the, I'm gonna put it at the top of my playlist for tomorrow's gym workout. <laughs> I know, man, that's freaking dope. I'm putting on mine too, right now. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> I love it. All right. And your last question is what, or if there is anybody, so you can time, time travel. If there's anybody you could pull a prank on, but they have to be like well-known, like everybody has to relatively or majority of people have to relatively know who they are. could be somebody now, or it could be somebody in the past. Who would you pull a prank on? And if you only, if you know the prank, what would it be? Pull a prank on. You hit me with the questions, bro. Uh, eh. Who would I pull a prank on? Hmm. For some reason right now, it's popping into my head is Chris Kyle. I don't know why. I don't know why he's popped into my head. Just because I think of him as such like a like a strong guy. And I'm like, if I could pull a prank on him and get it over him, it'd be awesome. I don't know what the prank would be, though. Mm. Because yeah. I'd be afraid that he's going to kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he would probably have fun with it. I think he'd be a guy that'd be cool with it. So Yeah, I think he would too. But yeah, no, it, I don't know. I don't know why that popped in my head. But yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing. I, I remember watching the you know American Sniper reading his book. And I don't, I'm not a huge reader. And it was one of the first books that I kind of read from cover to cover. And yeah, I just, I don't know. I just resonate with him. So, I love yeah, it. Yeah. That's a good one. I'll take that one. I'll take it. Yeah. Well, cool, brother. You did really well. That was a good one for the uh, for the manly round. So, jumping in here a little bit with your past, you've kind of already alluded to some of the darkness that you've encountered in your life. But let's take everybody back a little bit. Like, what was it that brought you over to New Zealand, and then what took you through the route of even going into law enforcement, and then to finding these demons that you've experienced in your life? Yeah, so my background, uh, I originally from uh, Northern California, Redding, California, way up up north there. Pretty, uh, it's not like the rest of California. It's pretty redneck, big trucks, lots of guns. I was just there, and everybody's like, oh, I, I know Redding. I know Redding very well. Yeah, I, I love it there because of how how redneck it is. Um, it's great. Um, and I don't say that in a negative way. I say it in a very positive way. It's it's good to see that that side of stuff. Uh, so I grew up there. Uh, my parents very successful. My mom owned her own chiropractic business, you know, making decent money in that. And in 2000, my parents, well, 99, my parents decided to take my little brother and I and uh, sell us around the world. 
Uh, so I was 13 so cool. at the time. Yeah, it was amazing. So we drove cross country to start with, hopped on the boat in 2000, uh, went through the Caribbean. Uh, I remember 9-11, uh, actually. I remember being in Bonaire and a friend of ours who was from... Uh, from Belgium, she comes and goes, oh, somebody's just blown up the Empire State Building. I was like, what? And she didn't mm -hmm. quite click. And then we ended up going, we went into shore and saw it. And it was obviously plastered all over the news, all over the news and all the bars and that. So that kind of brought that in. And then, uh, yeah, so we sailed through. And then we we're actually in Tonga uh, in 2004. We we're there filming humpback whales and doing lots of cool stuff. And uh, my mom got the Ben scuba diving freak accident don't know why um and then she got airy backed to new zealand uh, and we never planned wow. to sail down here because sailing down here can really be quite a quite a sail because you get the southern ocean storms that come up and you can get spanked mm. by them pretty good uh but we ended up coming down here my mom because my mom fell in love with new zealand she's totally fine hasn't really dove since but uh they don't even know why she got the bends it was perfect dive safer than my dad and the friend that were there diving with just freaked wow. Only thing I can put it down to is dehydration. Uh, that mm. she didn't um, have enough. Uh, she wasn't hydrated enough because it was a hot day. Uh, and so yeah, so we got down here. We got here. We arrived in uh, December fourteenth, two thousand four. Uh, and we yeah, and so we stayed here. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I went to university for some engineering stuff. Thought maybe doing naval architecture, and then ended up meeting my now wife when I was doing my skipper's ticket. So doing my captain's license. Uh, and I wanted to go deliver boats and that. And we, I didn't know really what I wanted to do once I met her because I was like, okay, um, I, I like this woman. I want to kind of see where it goes. And so almost got us onto a boat together and then that fell through. And so both of us didn't have jobs. I had some money sitting in the US. So we came back for three months. And this is where the law enforcement side comes in. Um, just before we left, her brother went to me and goes, oh, bro, we should join the police because the police were doing a big drive for uh, police officers here in Auckland so that you had, you know, uh, uh, ads and stuff everywhere about it. And he said it and I was like, oh, yeah. And at the time, Bad Boys 2 was my favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's watched Bad Boys 2, it can make anybody kind of think, oh, yeah, law enforcement be fun. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. So I did some seminar. I went to a seminar. I went to some information nights and stuff. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, this could be an idea. And then when we were back in the U.S., uh, we were in L.A. And uh, we were on our way to my uncle's house. And we drove over an overpass and saw some smoke in that. And all these people parked on the sides. And we're like, oh, I don't know what's going on there. It was in September, I think it was, September, October. And uh, the friend that we were with was like, oh, it's probably just another, you know, Southern California fire. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. And then driving back from my uncle's house where we're going to, uh, that bridge was closed. We're like, that's weird. So we're like, we got to take the long way, stop at the gas station. At the time, the gas stations had those TVs with the news and stuff on them. Mm -hmm. And it was breaking news. A passenger train had collided with a, with a um, freight train. And mm. that day, 21 people died. And when we got home, I put on the news and I was watching it. And... I was sitting there watching the cops going into those trains and pulling people out and what and and I literally asked my friend I was like how do I get down there how do I go help because I want to be there and I want to be helping mm -hmm. next day uh, I knew I had to get LASIK eye surgery next day I booked in to get LASIK eye surgery in LA did that started running through the hills of LA because that's where we were and and I was not a runner and so that was the start of my policing uh, came home 
uh, applied for the place and a year and a half later got in into that. Wow. So it was wow. a long journey to get in, a long fight. My dream was always to, uh, and this is why I've always been, so when I first met you, I was like, oh, spec ops. I was like, this is all, I always wanted to do the high, high level stuff. So my dream was to go our version of SWAT here. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's how, that was my vision for it all. Uh, when I got in though, quite quickly, it was not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. As it always is, it wasn't bad boys too. Um, no. No. Wasn't lethal weapon. <laughs> no, it wasn't lethal weapon. It wasn't bad boys too. It wasn't the SWAT movie. It, it was, nope. And it was 80% paperwork, a whole bunch of hurry up and wait and a whole bunch of we hate you is mm -hmm. what I ended up saying. And a whole lot of trauma. Uh, I hadn't even graduated yet. And here they do halfway through our training. They send you back to the station for a week and you work with the guys that you're going to work with. And I went to a guy who had been, uh, who had passed away, uh, three weeks earlier in bed while he was asleep. Oh, wow. So if you've ever seen that or you have any awareness of that, that's pretty gruesome. And of course, being a young 23 year old male, I was like, oh, yep, I'm, I'm all good. This is nothing. Oh, dead bodies and whatever. And uh, I still can't smell death and decay since mm. then. My nose has shut it off, trauma response. And um, yeah, so that was the first one. Then came out of training, went to a guy who jumped in front of a train, then also had a, some bouts of bullying when I went to a different station because we did a short-term thing at one station where I saw that train, where that guy jumped in front of the train. And then went to a different station where I was actually being posted and it just wasn't fun. Um, wow. My FTO was, he, he was a great guy. Uh, but then the other lady who was training me, I wasn't, just didn't click with. And I almost actually resigned in that first couple months. Wow. Uh, and my wife was like, you fought so hard, you did this. And so that was kind of the start of it. So I started to lose who I was. I started to, because I had this <laughs> massive picture of what a cop needed to be. I don't know if you can yeah. relate in the military or anything like that. You got this massive picture of what you think you should be when you go in and I lost who I was. And then um, I had a female partner of mine get assaulted. Uh, we were at a domestic, went to go to it, went to another address to arrest one of the people that was there, found him there. Uh, I went to go arrest him and he started running around the room trying to evade arrest, went for the front door. She went to go stop him. And he full on haymaker her, dented her cheekbone, hit her so hard. Mm. Um, and she left the job. That was like the last straw for her. She was already kind of on the fence of leaving. She'd been in, I think, about eight years. And I took that massively to heart. I think we've had this conversation before in the past when when uh, you and I, when you were on my podcast, uh, that I am all about protecting and like that especially women i'm like us guys we're stronger i'm not saying women are weaker or anything like that but we just physically are stronger and so in my mind it was i failed i completely yeah. failed so i started to lose who i was even more uh and then and i started to be even less um assertive so i would just kind of follow the leader i'd do as i was told i didn't take any initiative uh and it was destroying me inside to be honest uh, and then I went off to do our version of traffic because it was working alone, which was great. Absolutely loved it. Uh, but again, those negative demons, that dark wolf was sitting in there going, you're nothing. 
you're just giving out tickets, you're pissing people off. And I remember coming home one day and my wife going, what the hell is going on? And it took her probably mm. about three weeks, maybe three months <laughs> to get me to actually open up at all. And I was like, I feel like all I do is piss people off every day. I'm not making mm -hmm. any kind of difference. Uh, and so I ended up uh, coming off of traffic because my stint was done there and then went to six suicides and wow. four notification jobs in about a month. And those notification wow. jobs just completely shut me down. I What's a notification do. job? So notification job is so if somebody passes away, I come and um, if say one of your loved ones passes away, Got the police it. come and they tell they tell you face in your face to face. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I was going to the suicide or the death, and then going to, and then oh. I would go to the notification from that. Oh. <laughs> or like one incident was we were trying to find this guy's son. And he happened to be with us. My partner went left. I went right with the dad. My partner found him. And then I ended up having the guy uh, ended up getting told all oh, we we're on the pathways pretty much. And he just collapsed. Uh, and mm. so, and then another lady couldn't even dial a telephone. Her daughter blaming herself that her dad took his own life because she ended up finding the suicide note on the computer. Um, and me being such a shell and not knowing who I was, all I wanted to do was give the 16-year-old daughter a big hug mm. and I wouldn't all I did was put my hand on my back on her back because I was like if I hug her this could be portrayed wrong this is people hate cops and all these different all the, that dark wolf was so loud in my head and after that I just completely shut down uh mm. and just kind of really went into a hermit started getting angry all the time and this is where I think for your audience, especially that masculinity side, I became very, very toxic. Like I mm -hmm. use that, that I'm just, I'm raw, raw, raw kind of side of stuff. So much so that, uh, one night we came home from a dinner party and you know, those cake carrier tins that carry like mm -hmm. cakes, like you put them in the, you put the cake in there so you don't crush it. In yeah. that. Uh, we had one of those because we took a cake. It was sitting on the back seat. My wife got out of the car. It was two in the morning. My wife got out of the car. And I got out and like, and I just exploded at her for leaving in the back seat and not grabbing it. Like mm. just two in the morning screaming at her. And then I ended up um, at another party. My wife wasn't there. She was working and ended up finding myself almost cheating on her. Like literally at the stage where I was like, okay, how do I make a move on this other woman? How do I get on with that? And that's when I knew I was done. I was checked out, went to her, asked for a divorce. Luckily, she's a very strong woman, my wife, and I have to say she saved my life uh, and she um, demanded pretty much. And I, I'm just glad, grateful that I actually said yes. We went to counseling one more time and that's when uh, the counselor wow. identified what was actually going on. Wow. And then, yeah, it's been a journey since coming back. <laughs> but that's my story um, going through all the stuff and the demons and that. Um, and yeah, I have to put it down to her and also have to put it down to for some reason, because I'm a talker, I decided, yes, wait, I'll, I'll, I'll talk. And also I don't give up easy. Uh, you know, I, well, I, I think there's a lot here. There's obviously a lot here, but I think one of the big things is that people that are listening that may not be familiar with the way of life as law enforcement, um, they see a lot of bad press and a lot of manipulation from the media but man, the tolls that, it, I mean, you guys are at everything. It's not just you guys at, are at, you know, very, even just violent activities. Like you guys are at suicides. You guys are at car crashes. You guys are at things where like 
just average people are experiencing very traumatic, if not death in and of itself, but very traumatic situations. And you guys have to be cognizant and present in all of that shit. Mm. And the toll, like you've already expressed, but the toll that that takes on you guys psychologically, people don't talk about that too much. They don't talk about the things that you've just brought up. And a lot of people don't hear that side of law enforcement. So one, I appreciate you for sharing that. And number two, for everybody out there listening, like this is something that that is really serious. So the next time you think about slandering a fucking cop or thinking that they're all negative or bad people, it's like put yourself in their shoes and what they see and deal with every day. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Like what we're talking about here, there's, you know, the child cases and all this other shit that goes on as well. That's a whole nother animal. And uh, that that is piled onto you guys that you have to experience, you know, because you guys are at that shit, too. So, you know, it's it's really wild that, you know, um, in my opinion, it seems to be worldwide. You guys don't get a lot of respect, but it's a very tough job physically and psychologically that you guys have to deal with. Yeah, totally. Uh, There's uh, there's been some studies that have come out of the U.S., especially. um, I think it was out of New York, uh, NYPD. They did a study or somebody did a study on NYPD. A cop in the U.S. especially will see 18 times as much trauma in their first year as a civilian will in their life. Mm, Jesus, it's a wild study. <laughs> and then, and then you take, you know, I was I was interviewing a guy just the other day who's ex, who was uh, eight years in the army and then 13 years law enforcement, and he was even he was even saying he was like, uh, the army being he did um so he went to iraq and that in the very beginning uh and he's like even law enforcement's even harder than military he reckons Mm -hmm. because you're not living eating and breathing everything where you live you go over you're somewhere else the transition home is hard but you're coming home and it's not there. You can actually, you can actually disconnect from it if you, you know, would work. When you're law enforcement, I work. I, I lived in the area I worked. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so I knew. Like my wife, my wife, we were looking for a new place to rent, and she's sitting there sending me different listings for these different houses, and I'm like, nope. There's a meth. There's a meth head next door. Nope. There's a domestic right. thing that's next door, and it's like eventually she just stopped. Stop sending wow. to me. She's like, I'll find one. Yeah. Well, it's 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 also the fact that you know when you're in a military capacity, you're put in an adversarial position. So you go over knowing that you're fighting an enemy and really the only people messing with you are the enemy. Now, casualties happen, right? And collateral damage is, happens with innocent, but for the most part, you're in conflict with people you're supposed to be in conflict with. You guys are in conflict with somebody who on an everyday basis, if the person was sober, they're probably a great human being. And then they all of a sudden get on drugs and it's like Jekyll and Hyde. And you're like, shit, I got to deal with this. Or like the everyday stuff of seeing, like I said, the things with children or, you know, uh, women being assaulted or any of that stuff. Like you guys are experiencing, like you said, it's, you guys are interacting with your also daily life and you guys don't get to separate from that in any capacity. And you're also not like, you don't clock in and be like, all right, everybody's an enemy now. Like, that's not how it works. It's like you clock in and you're like, I'm here to serve everybody to the best of my ability. 
mean, if somebody turns out to be an enemy, I hope that I get the jump on them. That's like literally yeah. what you guys have to deal with. So it's yeah. a very, I think it's just a very different game that we're put in between military and law enforcement for sure. Definitely. And I, I didn't, I didn't say this during when I was saying, you know, my background and that, but I also, the last three and a half years of my policing career, I was on diplomatic protection, which is our version of secret service. So I went from being in a state where I was looking for an exit. I was looking for something to give me that excitement again. I was looking for a purpose as such. Uh, and so I got shoulder tapped as such because I had done the qualification and that when I was training for our version of SWAT, uh, I didn't get in. So I went down the qualifying for the, the role as um, diplomatic protection. And I got shoulder tapped to go to residential security. And then on to, and then I had to apply for the actual, you know, close protection work. Uh, but I went from looking at people and there is a image that you kind of look for as a cop. You can call it racist. You can call it profiling. You can call it whatever it is, but you get this trend. It's a pattern. Statistically, that person is most likely to do stuff. We always say, if you want to burgle house and get away with it, drive a nice car and wear a suit. <laughs> mm -hmm. <No. laughs> you know True. there's a tip there's a tip for those criminals out there but um <laughs> but um but i went from that to then working um alongside high profile business people you know i was mm -hmm. interacting i was going into multi-million dollar companies and that with the, with the prime minister with vips with diplomats you know i went from looking at a specific type of person to then looking at literally everybody and i was already in a dark state listening to that demon mm -hmm. all the time and so all it did was numb me even more because I was like, when I'm off duty, I just don't want to be around people. I don't want to look at anyone because they're all a threat. Yeah. Yep. I got so bad. I got so bad. I was in Reading back in Reading one year, the end of 2015 going into 2016. I dropped my wife off at the airport because I was staying on to go to shot show with my dad and my uncle and was driving to my best friend's house and my uncle's Tacoma and thought an early black 2000 Tahoe was following me so much so that I pulled over and forced it to pass me. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's definitely being stuck in that mindset for sure. Well, even in going into that, so you, your wife challenged you and wanted you to show the fuck up. So then yep. you took her on that challenge, which turned your life around. But what was coming out of that like for you? And as you were coming, as you were turning the corner to start making your way back up the hill, what were maybe two or three tools that really, really helped you to make larger steps so you weren't just treading water? Yeah, so first of all, I want to reiterate that it wasn't one time. It was multiple, multiple times over probably a long time. And I have to give my wife credit. She's stubborn, which is good. Um, but, yeah. it's, uh, but also she it, um, put a lot, of, a lot on her as well. And so I, I apologize to her all the time for it, but we're even better because of it um, now. Uh, but coming out of it uh, was hard. <laughs> oh my. It was very difficult. I ended up getting to a stage as a counselor said to me, she's like, Chris, your tank is so empty that being a cop right now, you'll never fill it back up. You need to take a break. Uh, and that dark wolf in my head went, she hates cops. She wants one less on the street. And it took me about three weeks of counseling to actually say that to her. And she's like, that's the wolf. Uh, and so I ended up the, one of the biggest things that I did is I took time, I took time for myself. Uh, and I literally put myself first, which I can be very, well, I used to be very bad at, um, is putting myself first so that then I can show up to other people fully. 
and I did a three-month motorcycle trip through the U.S., originally not knowing if I was actually even going to come home, uh, and camped through the whole Southwest uh, mm. on, off the back of a motorcycle. The second kind of third of it, the last third of it, I was staying with friends and stuff, but the first two-thirds of it, I was literally camping in the wilderness. Um mm freezing my tits off at night because I left my big sleeping bag um, here in New Zealand. So I had to buy a cheap one and yeah, on a budget, like literally I had to, I bought a motorcycle and traveled around on 10 grand us for three months. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so it was That's a hardcore a budget. No, it's not. <laughs> um, and so, you know, the motorcycle was three and a half grand. And so I had about seven and a half, I had, you know, about, seven grand ish because my mom lent me a little bit of money and then I had to pay her back to do three months, uh, wow. food, gas, everything. Uh, and so one of the biggest things that I learned from that trip was talk, tell mm. everyone what's going on and don't hold back. Be brutally fucking honest. Yeah. But People you know, that's a struggle for dude. Oh, no, for dudes, for it's a dude. massive struggle. But here's 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 what I'll tell all those dudes out there, as you'll sit and I know that you know I know you talk and this is why I follow you so hardcore. Is you talk a lot about the positive masculinity, like you know really embracing that masculinity, so you don't have that toxic masculinity that's out there. And I feel like law enforcement has a massive toxic masculinity. It's that raw, raw, hoorah! Look at me, I'm all powerful, I'm awesome, because people because of all the trauma that we talked about. But what I learned on that trip is the guys will, more people will connect with you and you'll feel more seen. You'll feel more supported by actually telling the brutal truth. Mm. So when people would ask me and the guys were the ones that I connected with the most actually on that trip. And I, I actually on in all transparency on honesty, I struggle to connect with guys. Don't know what it is. It's just, I always have. And so when I was on that trip, people would be like, oh, you know, what are you up to? Because I had a bright blue dry bag, like the color of this, this Yeti. It was bright yeah. blue dry bag bungeed to the back of my bike. And people would see it in gas stations, everything would be like, oh, what are you up to? Oh, you know, I'm a, a cop from New Zealand and I'm going through PTSD and I'm burned out and I'm doing this trip to, to find myself. And they're like, good on you. And then people would open up with things like they talk to me about what they've done and they, they give me they they tell me the things that work for them. And I learned so much just from telling people that that I didn't even go into detail like yeah. I'm doing today. And what it does is it just it just you actually feel seen. And I, I feel a lot of guys don't feel seen because of whatever reason it is. We don't feel seen. And so when you actually are brutally honest, people will see you. When you're mm -hmm. false and you're not honest and you're just talking lip service and you're going, oh, yeah, I'm good. Things are okay. Yeah, maybe I'm struggling a little bit, but it's okay. I'll get, I'll get through. Then people don't, you, you don't, you know, you're not seen. People don't see you. Um, and so that was one of the biggest things is being brutally honest. Actually just going, and again, it comes back to that looking after me. What's yeah. the intent of this trip is to look after me and fill my cup. How am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to tell people what the hell's going on. I'm going to look after well, me first. I have to ask, what was your mindset prior to opening up and sharing with people? What was the things that Chris thought that would prevent him from opening up and sharing with people? Good question. That I'd be judged. Mm. That people would judge me. 
that they would think like, I remember, you know, my cousin, uh, my second cousin is, uh, ex-military did two tours in one in Afghanistan, one, in, uh, sorry, one in Iraq, one in Afghanistan, had a suicide bomber, uh, blow up some of his platoon at a checkpoint, uh, in Afghanistan. And I went, how can I have PTSD? I haven't had any of that happen. Like, how could I have it? And I remember doing the whole, and I'm a very intent person. Like intent is everything. What's the outcome that I'm looking for? So when I went on that trip, it was like, okay, I'm here to get better. I'm here to look after myself. I'm here to fill my tank. This is not a pleasure trip as much as it's a pleasure trip to regain myself, but I'm here to get better. And so I was like, okay, I need to put that judgment side aside and focus more on what do I need to do? I need to communicate. The counselor said, communicate stuff. So, okay, I'm going to communicate stuff mm. and I'm going to, and this is why my business is called knocking demon because I created the analogy that dark wolf or the demon that I started to call him. He's, I, I can't let him push me around anymore. And how do I not mm. let him push me around? I put him on the other side of a door. Now mm. I've got to be able to hear him though. Cause I've got to be able to listen to him and I got to acknowledge him. And then I have to make a choice on what I want to do with what he's saying. Mm -hmm. I got to make a choice. Is he, is, do I need to let him keep judging me? No. Okay. I need to make a choice. What am I going to do with this action? With this thought, this thought of I'm not good enough. Well, okay, let's take some action and be good enough. And so what I did is I just constantly reinforced that door so he couldn't get through. I have posts from way back in the very beginning of my social media or my other private Instagram account where I was documenting my trip and I talk about reinforcing that door because he's hitting it with a battering ram you know taking all those mm. police analogies and stuff he's hitting it with a battering ram he's hitting it with a tank he's it because he's trying to get back through and take control and push me around well mm. now I the door is wide open and I dance with him because I've got all the tools with it and I control him not him controlling me but yeah, I, I, I hope I answered the question there. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a big one. I think a lot of guys really experience the judgment. And I think that's something that really plagues them from wanting to open up because if they feel that they're judged or maybe somebody did judge them before that trauma, then somebody uh, re-emphasized why they need to not talk about stuff, which then prevents them from sharing. But having that ability to share not only liberated you, it liberated other people that you spoke with because- at the end of the day, we tend to believe that people won't understand. If we tell them, we tend to believe that they don't want to hear truly about how we're doing. So we shove it off and say just the normal bullshit. And then at the end of the day, we just don't feel like anybody is going to really understand where we're coming from. So we don't want to share that. So we isolate and believe we're the only ones going through it. But what you did was you realized there was more than just you going through it. And there was more people who actually appreciated it. And then it gave them the ability to open up that vulnerability that you had allowed them to be vulnerable. And so that, that judgment piece, you had that one big piece holding you back. And so many guys are sitting around with that piece. That's why I wanted you to talk about it because I think you probably just at least opened the door a little bit for somebody listening right now. And, and you know, it's hard. That first conversation is hard. I remember being on the bike and I was talking to my cousin, a uh, female cousin, my, my first cousin, my dad and my um, uncle's daughter. And I was talking with her about stuff. She was going through things at the same time with some stuff. She's a nurse. Uh, and then, so I was kind of talking with her around a little bit of stuff and more helping her than really talking my stuff and just using some of my stuff to help her, I guess. 
And I remember being on the bike and the first place I went to was a lake uh, in the middle of Nevada, Diamond Lake. Uh, and I was there, there was nobody there. And I was like, oh, there's some people around there fishing that. And I was like, oh no, I'm not going to talk to anybody. No, no, like, no. <laughs> and, and then this, the next day I, I rode the loneliest highway to, uh, across America, Highway 50 across nevada and if you haven't done it it's absolutely amazing but make sure you do take gas or at least fill up at every single gas station they're yeah. 120 they're 120 miles apart <laughs> um wow. but um i remember i went into a restaurant there which is the gas station that i was hoping there was a gas station and there was like so old school that like there's no on off on the pump like you literally pump and go inside and tell them how much it is like uh, mm. it's old school wow i had a burger and they had a wall there and i've got a photo of it they had a wall there of all the patches and you know how police i don't know if you are johnny you know we collect patches as such and i had taken some police patches with me and i was like can i pin one up there and they're like yeah of course and so i just brought back that people do care about us okay mm -hmm. i am cared about in a way and then then the shortly after that i ran into a guy that was on a bike and the reason i wanted to tell this is Find something where there's a like-minded connection. I know you run, um, you run the the wild man stuff, and one day I will get on it. Um, but find something where there's a connection. Mm. This guy had a motorcycle, and it took me filling up. He was there. He pulled up while I was filling up. It took me filling up, walking inside, paying, coming out, and standing next to my bike, literally grabbing my helmet to go put it back on. Going, Chris, you should talk to him. You should see what he's up to. He looks like he's traveling on a bike as well. And I was literally about to put my helmet on. And I was like, I think I even put it on. And I went, no, fuck it. And I took my helmet off and I walked up to him. I was like, hey, what are you up to? Mm. And so that's how hard it was in the beginning. Now I talk to everybody. I'm here on a podcast and everything. And so there is a, it's just walking yourself through it and recognizing what that demon is trying to do to you or that dark wolf is trying to do to you and go, what do I want to do? What do I want my life to look like? Do I want yeah. to be where I am right now? Mm. And then that guy, I ended up going and meeting up with some other people. He, because we were going to some hot, we went to some hot pools. I ended up staying the night camping in the same place, had some drinks with some other people. And it just sparked everything because that's when I started, people started to ask me about what was going on with me. And I was like, oh my God, I feel seen. They're not judging me. What's going on here? This is weird. Yeah. Was there a point that you turned the corner that your job and what you saw was not actually you though didn't define you yes it was a few years later um i so one of the biggest turning things that i ever did was my mom invited my wife and i to come to tony robbins day with destiny mm. and so she paid for the tickets we just had to pay our way we just put down a deposit on a house to be built and everything so i had like no money but i was like i have to do this so we flew to Florida, did that, turned it into a five-week holiday, but did Date with Destiny. I walked away from it and I was like, holy crap. And then shortly after that, then I started to change stuff. My business exploded because I got into courses and programs and mentoring through the, my wife's buddy that was at it. But the biggest thing that really did change my life that I recognized what I do is not who I am was I was doing a Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi um, course that they created, Knowledge Business Broker. Uh, program it's called something different now but he goes through a seven levels deep process which is about finding your why and that there made me recognize 
and I didn't even go it as deep as I have it now, made me recognize who I am as somebody who helps other people not be in pain. Mm. I help create experiences and joy for people. That's who I truly am. The job, the reason that I got so destroyed by the job is because I lost sight of that within the job. And because mm -hmm. I identified so hardcore as a cop, I couldn't see through any of it. I was so blindfolded. And so that literally is what I do now is help people really identify who they really are, not what they do. Mm -hmm. um, and because it's so powerful having that why and that purpose in life of knowing who you truly are, then you can actually turn up. You can be the man that you know you are. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Is there, um, and I love that because the, the, the more especially people get attached to, you know, we're taught that when someone asks, um, when we get into a conversation, right, or when people get into a conversation, the first thing, the social norm is, what do you do? Why does it fucking matter what I do? Because that's not who I am. But because that question has been asked for so fucking long in society, everybody mm -hmm. wants to be like, oh, everybody sees what I do as who I am. So we it's got it wrong. Plan. It's yeah. a form of judgment. Mm -hmm. Am I Absolutely. better than you? You know, it's a subconscious. Yep. I'll ask what you're doing because then maybe, you know, then, then I can justify what I'm doing is, is, is good. Or do I make more money than that person? Yeah. Because some people value, but we got it all fucked up because mm -hmm. what we do has zero to do with who we are. And it has everything to do with simply just a way we chose to make money, but that's mm -hmm. fucking it. But the problem is we got all attached to that. So, I love that you brought that up and you were able to, to kind of really assess that and then have that separation of, Oh, who I was is not who I actually am or what I was doing was no, is not who I actually am. Who I am is who I am. And that is somebody who's defined by what he chooses as his why. And so one of the, one of the last things I really want to ask you, cause you have such a, a great voice for it is what is it that you can give guys out there who have similar experience? Maybe it's our first responders or other cops or military that may be struggling with the same things you are. How can, or what can you give them that they can use to maybe turn and shift their life now, as opposed to hitting rock bottom? Yeah. So uh, I've got a freebie and I know you've got the link, but it's uh, it's four ways to know to not burn out in your frontline job. Uh, mm. And it literally is the four key things that I say all the time, you know, uh, focus, remember what you focused on, know your why or have a purpose, um, make a choice and, and then stick to it. You know, it's, it's really diving through those. And then there's some bonuses in there so you can put them on your phone so you can, it brings that reiteration back constantly. Um, that would be probably something that you can do right now. But the number one thing, if you're listening here and you don't want to go anywhere, you don't want to click on any links, you don't want to enter any details, you just want something, is literally, um, think back to when you are a kid. What brought you happiness? What was the one thing that you used to do that was fun all the time? Mm -hmm. There was no other issues, there was no other qualms, there was no nothing else. It was like when you were there, you were present. You were just having fun and start doing it again. Mm. implement that into your life and everything will change yeah. i listen to music that's what i do i'll put on yeah. some music and because that takes me straight back to something 
Mm. Love that. So th- that would be my number one thing. I wanted to ask you something real quick, Johnny. You mentioned some stuff. Who are you? Who am I? Yeah. Instead of what do you do, who are you? Yeah, I'm a man that believes that there is a higher caliber of man out there and the world deserves to have him, but we have to find our own authenticity to show it. So I'm a man that helps shine light on people's authenticity by expressing my own. I love it. I love it, man. <laughs> I love the question, brother. Appreciate it. I love it. Well, Chris, it has been awesome chatting with you, brother. Um, let's tell everybody where to find you. And remember, everybody listening will link all this in the show notes, but would love Chris to let you know where to find you, where do you hang out the most, and how can people get in your ecosystem, brother? Yeah, so uh, easiest is probably uh, LinkedIn or uh, Instagram. So it's just Chris Chandler Yates on either one of them. Uh, and you'll you'll find me there. Send me a message. Let me know how you like the episode and that. Um, that's the best way to find me. I'm working on a few different things at the moment. I've got some programs to help people really know and find who they truly are so that they can figure out what they really want to be doing in life, whether it be staying first responding or whether it be move out of it. Uh, and then, um, yeah, we've got some, I've got a motorcycle trip planned as a retreat next year in May, uh, to, to kind of reenact, take people through what I, what I experienced and what I learned, um, in May next year. So if you're interested in that, hit me up as well. So that's the ways it hit me is just Chris Chandler Yates on any social media, really. Cool. And then you'll be posting your, uh, details for your motorcycle trip, right on your website. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I'll be having a website. We're in the process of kind of putting it all together, getting some details kind of tuned up in that, and then we'll start be be posting it and promoting that around as well. And I'll let you know about it as well, Johnny. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be uh, a week of bringing people together, overcoming burnout, getting the specific tools while connecting in with nature and having fun riding the roads, the back country roads of the Southwest. Super dope, man. That's going to be a lot of fun. And then you got your podcast as well, right? Yep. I got my podcast called Fight the Burnout. Johnny's been on it quite a while back. Um, got over 100 episodes in there as well now. Uh, we interview, what I do now is I interview first responders. So current or ex-first responders. Uh, and we just take through what, they're, what they've gone through, any you know experiences that they have with burnout, how they've overcome it. Uh, yeah, talk to some pretty amazing people, some people that have been involved in some pretty crazy shootings some people that are chiefs of police yeah all sorts of stuff so it's a real good place to to kind of connect in and and get some of those tools from people with real life experience of burnout and in that high trauma level i love that brother that's really good man that's something for everybody out there all my first responders you're listening you guys go check that out well brother it's been a great time and your last question before i release you for the rest of your day over there because you're just starting yours is what does the art of masculinity mean to you? The art of masculinity to me is really figuring out who you are. Ooh, to be the, for me to be the most masculine when I've sat in my, my best masculine state uh, and, and having that art of it is, is really I can connect in with myself, which means that I can be present, which means mm. that I know who I am and I'm not having to fake anything. So I'm not having to be toxic or be harsh or get angry. I can just, I can communicate what's going on because I know who I am. Mm, I love that brother. Definitely in line with that. Well, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you hopping on here and the work that you're doing, helping men around the world, especially first responders. Thank you for, you know, being in law enforcement and living that life brother and giving us some insight to it. So truly appreciate you. 
And to everybody listening, as always, remember to drop the ego and stay humble. Until next time, guys.